if you're like me and so many people I work with, you are being relied upon to bring your A game every single day to the sales pitch, to the team meeting, to your family, to your community. The problem is that these days, unlike our pre-COVID lives, there are no natural transitions or breaks in the day. We don't have the car ride to work, the subway ride home, the shutting down of the laptop so we can pack up our bags and head home to sort out dinner. It's just one long marathon of waking up, caffeinating at various points until finally the alcohol picks up with the caffeine left off and we find ourselves headed to bed eventually. And the whole catastrophe starts all over again the next day. I was on a call with a client recently and he said, it's like this. You have just enough time in between meetings to either go to the bathroom or pour a second cup of coffee, but not both. Never both. And then the next meeting begins. <laughs> so perfectly said. If there was ever a perfect storm for burnout, this is it. We're living it. A friend recently told me she had to cancel a vacation. And I said, oh, wait, don't tell me. Let's play apocalypse bingo. Was it because of fires? Floods? A freak lightning storm? Racial uprising? COVID outbreak? Voter suppression? White supremacy? Killer wasps? And I just kept going and she laughed harder as I went. It just turned out to be a run-of-the-mill work emergency, but still, this is how it is right now. I think many of us are past the point of tired or numb. In fact, the other night I was having a horribly long day during which I terribly mismanaged my own energy. And I was talking with my son and I heard this weird sound coming out of my own mouth. And I was like, what is that strange sound? And it turns out the sound was a laugh. Something my son said made me laugh, but I was so deep and dead inside that in that moment, my own laughter sounded foreign. I hate what is happening to us right now, but here's the thing I know in the deepest underpinnings of my soul, indulging in a poor me narrative or a poor us narrative has never done any of us much good. And I hate feeling like a victim. I'm way more interested in feeling like the heroine who, when all hell is breaking loose, knows how to regain balance, punch the ground, and come back with some nuclear level counter move that just fucks shit up. So friend, I want to offer you that counter move right now. I want to offer you a way to come back strong and annihilate the odds that are so stacked against you. But before I share this move with you, I need to warn you. What I'm about to share with you looks and sounds nothing like a ground punch. In fact, what it sounds like is more like a heavily wooded space filled with smallish pools. And if you're like, uh, what? Let me, let me back up for a minute. One of the great secrets to productivity and performance that often goes neglected is the art of transitioning well. The quality of your transition actually determines how you show up to whatever comes next. Let me say that again. It's the time spent in the in-betweens that determines the quality of your energy, your presence, your power in the moments that follow. When we properly transition, we move from one state of being, of consciousness, of focused energy into another. We close out one experience before opening up a new one. And if you've ever had a toddler or preschool age kid, you know, you remember just how hard the transitions can be. I think grownups are the same. We have a really hard time 
letting go of one thing and pushing ourselves into whatever's next. So what do we do? We numb out with scrolling or email checking or we zap ourselves with stimulation from the unending litany of of terrible freaking news that's available on demand. But I'd love to suggest we try something different. And by that, I mean, you need a transition ritual, something that you habitually do in between tasks, meetings, whatever. It doesn't need to be anything fancy. It just needs to be something that you do as consistently as possible. So for me, the anatomy of a good transition ritual has three parts. And, you know, do what works for you. These are just three sort of steps that I try and always take that make the biggest difference in my day. Step one, capture the goddess. Step two, process the feels. Step three, take a brain bath. So let's talk about step one, capture the goddess. Listen, part of what keeps us perpetually drained is that there's always just a little bit of bandwidth that is always dedicated to worrying about the things we might've forgotten to do after that one meeting. Like, did I write it down? Did I send that email? What am I forgetting? ah, Right? The first step in your new transition ritual is to capture the goddess. For me, if the action takes two minutes or less, I try and just do it right then. But when that's not possible, I actually take 30 seconds to schedule the time required to do what it is that needs to be done. This is so much more effective than putting it in a to-do list that I forget about. It just, and it also shows me visually how much I have to accomplish in a 24-hour period, which then makes it easier for me to say no to things that come up that aren't freaking humanly possible, right? Step two is process the feels. Some of the meanings and things you're bouncing between have real strong emotional signatures, the contentious client conversation, that meeting with your overwhelmed, anxious, and slightly depressed direct report, the sales pitch where you gave it everything you had, and all three of those meetings went down before you even had lunch. I mean, what even is lunch at this point, right? Each of those meetings left a mark, and it's incredibly helpful to rapidly process that emotion, whatever it was, even just for 60 seconds. And how you process is totally up to you. And the more you practice processing the feels, the more you'll learn how best you process. For me, frustration is something I'm feeling a lot these days. I'm frustrated by the number of interruptions, my lack of time alone. And when I have frustration to process, I got to move. And sometimes I literally shadow box and punch and kick an invisible opponent. And sometimes I growl. I learned that from my husband. He growls after frustrating calls. But here's another example. Last night, despite my best efforts at processing my emotions during the day, I felt a tightness in my chest and shoulders from the lingering frustration of of my afternoon and just a simmering sense of rage. I knew I wouldn't be able to fall asleep because it was just too much toxic soup happening. So I closed my eyes and I visualized a wide open field covered with old broken down cars. Then I visualized a baseball bat in my right hand, a nice heavy one. And with that baseball bat, I visualized myself destroying each and every car in that goddamn field. I felt the glass shattering as I smashed windows. And it didn't hurt me because it's a visualization, so it's great like that. I felt the metal of the car doors crunching as I landed one heavy swing after another. And once I felt like I had well and truly trashed every single car in the field, 
I set the whole goddamn thing on fire with a flick of my wrist because I can, because it's a visualization. Did I mention I visualized myself in a yellow Cavalli dress like Beyonce in the Hold Up video? It was epic. And once it was all on fire, I visualized myself dancing around like a wild pagan witch as the whole goddamn thing burned to the ground. It was glorious. My plan had been to do another meditation after that that was more like love and light and calling in my higher self, but I fell asleep so soundly before I could even execute on that part of the plan that I didn't need to. I didn't even need to. Processing your feels means using your imagination and your body and your heart to move emotional experiences safely and healthfully through you so they don't haunt you or hold power over you or make you sick. Step three, give yourself a brain bath. Listen, processing the feels is huge, but our brains need some TLC too. Just given how overstimulated we are, I am a huge fan of activities that allow our brains to just rest. And funny enough, you may notice that when you engage in brain bath activities, brilliant ideas and solutions come unbidden. Like some benevolent force out there was just waiting for us to slow down and shut up long enough to whisper something wonderful in our ear. So what do I mean by brain bath activities? Here are some of my favorites. Knitting. God, knitting is so good for my brain. It just, ah, I can just feel the gray matter exhaling. Gardening, deadheading flowers, weeding. Those are awesome. Whittling. Get yourself a piece of wood and a knife. Oh my God, it is so therapeutic. My great uncle in Ireland taught me how to whittle when I was a little girl, and I haven't done it yet since COVID hit, but I'm not above it. If knitting stops working, I'm going to pick up my freaking pen knife and get to work on some wood. Drawing, doodling, coloring, painting, playing guitar, piano, harmonica, snuggling your animal. Those are all brain bath activities. Listening to spa music, brain bath. Here's what's not a brain bath. Scrolling, checking email, going to the kitchen, calling someone to bitch and complain, checking the news, talking to your roommate, spouse, or partner about things that need to be done around the house. That is so not a brain bath. The thing about brain baths is that they are intended for you to completely let go, space out, give your mind a break. And for me, that means a low cognitive load skill, which is why I love knitting. But for you, it might be something else, anything that just requires the bare minimum of focus. I was talking to a friend of mine recently who found herself in the middle of a very hectic work day. And during her one hour of free time in which she was supposed to be working on a very complicated legal document, she found herself weeding in her garden instead. And she was kind of ashamed about it because, you know, she had things to do. And this document required some real thought. But instead of working on it, she went out to the garden. But once her hands began working with the weeds, pulling them out by their roots, the crusty topsoil warmed to the touch, her brain was able to stretch out and breathe a bit. And before she knew it, she was mentally working through the document, forming some really cogent thoughts. And 25 minutes later, she returned to her laptop and pretty quickly provided the sharp, wise legal counsel the document required. A task she thought was going to take forever, and she got it done. She just needed a brain bath. And my dear one, so do you. So do you. So what are we talking about? Step one, capture the goddess. Step two, process the feels. Step three, take a brain bath. Transition well, you know? Use your imagination and intuition as your guide in constructing some kind of liminal space. 
for you to recover. Not once a day, but many times a day. As I was planning this episode, I was thinking about the mysticism of liminal spaces, the in-betweens, and the thought of this passage from The Magician's Nephew by C.S. Lewis came to mind. And before I read you this passage that just so captures what I'm trying to get across in this episode, I just want to acknowledge that you've heard a lot of sounds during this recording. That's because people live here with me. (laughs) I used to have time in the day where you wouldn't hear stuff but that ain't how it is anymore. So let me read you this passage. This is the visual that helps me stay committed to a a transition practice. It's from The Magician's Nephew, which if you don't know is by C.S. Lewis. It's the prequel to the Chronicles of Narnia, and it's aptly named The Wood Between the Worlds. As he rose to his feet, he noticed that he was neither dripping nor panting for breath as anyone would expect after being underwater. His clothes were perfectly dry. He was standing by the edge of a small pool, not more than 10 feet from side to side, in a wood. The trees grew close together and were so leafy that he could get no glimpse of the sky, and the light was green light that came through the leaves. But there must have been a very strong sun overhead, for this green daylight was bright and warm. It was the quietest wood you could possibly imagine. There were no birds, no insects, no animals, and no wind. You could almost feel the trees growing. The pool he had just got out of was not the only pool. There were dozens of others. A pool every few yards as far as the eye could reach. You could almost feel the trees drinking up the water with their roots. This wood was very much alive. And when he tried to describe it afterward, Diggory always said, it was a rich place, as rich as plum cake. My friend, create this peaceful rich place in your own mind. Let it nourish you. And when it's time, dive into whatever that next pool is with integrity, with intention, with kindness, and shine on, you crazy diamond. I'll see you next time. <laughs>